just when we thought we were out, they brought us back in. Uh, we what, po- what movie are we covering? <laughs> we're we're <laughs> covering Godfather. What we're covering? Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of Godfather esque in in the, at least its place in my heart. The Shawshank Redemption, uh, 1994's okay. own, directed by one Frank Darabont, starring uh, Morgan Freeman and fuck me, I can't. Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins, Clancy Brown. I mean, everybody you know from the nineties. Yeah, is in this, Jeffrey Dunn, a whole bunch mm-hmm. of uh, the the uh, the Darabont players yeah. are, are in this. And uh, this was commissioned. This is a commissioned podcast back from from semi retirement uh, from Hatorian. This was the uh, grand prize of our fantasy football league. We had two this year. We have another winner, Doctor Nick, that will be getting his commission a little bit later. But Hatorian is up first now. Hatorian's been a commissioner of the fantasy football uh, league see, for Bald what the fuck? For he's won every year. The, it's entire history. And he's won every year. When do we actually open a uh, a corruption investigation? Now, are we, now's the time. Are if we, not now, when? Are we waiting for Andy DeFriend to <laughs> mail us a copy of the Cooked League books or something? Yeah. Uh, but uh, he has the following statement. Thanks to all the fantasy football teams we're playing. I hope we can do it again next year. Because I want another <laughs> commission. I win another commission. I had the teams vote for a few different options, and Shawshank Redemption won. Oh, well, he at least made it, you know, he's a, he's a Democratic uh, mm-hmm. league cooker. Not sure that ballot's not stuffed either. This is probably the first drama I really watched and understood. So, no, every single person on this fantasy football league has a birth certificate and a real <laughs> like name. Andy. Like yep, Andy. Yep. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh <laughs> Say this is probably the first time I really watched and understood. So it holds a special place in my heart. It's definitely in the top five of all time. Where do you guys sit with the movie? Damn, how good is Frank Darabont? Is this the best narrated movie ever? We'll leave the rest of the discussion to you guys. Mm, that's a good question. I like that that final question. Is this the best narrated movie of all time? No kidding. Maybe like a lot of times narration detracts. Yeah. Uh, like for example, uh, Blade Runner. My God, the movie is completely different with uh, <laughs> with without Harrison Ford's kind of hokey uh, film noir. Uh, narration removed from it. Um, I. What's your relationship to this film? Uh, I've seen this. Maybe. Uh, so I've definitely seen like pieces of this many times. Uh, I think this I've only cable, seen the whole thing once. This is like a once. cable favorite. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like I'll be flipping through the channels. Oh, look, that's Tim Robbins, Morgan Freeman. Right. AMC loves to run this, and <laughs> and just whenever, just whenever. Oh boy, I wonder if they still do after the Darabont shit Oof. now that they're in a lawsuit with the guy well if it makes money they probably don't care yeah uh so i this maybe is like the second time i've seen it all the way through mm-hmm. uh i was surprised at how romanticized it all is because mm. i like i don't get that part from you know catching pieces of it here and there uh but this is a very romanticized notion of prison life with, with that some is exceptions. extremely interesting way to phrase that okay what are you talking about uh they so i think this movie Romanticized is great. gang rape go i, I think this movie <laughs> is great now th- there are exceptions okay absolutely okay. but let me say i think this movie is awesome yes uh and it is an extremely well-crafted story it's engrossing through the entire thing uh-huh uh i think the thing that was a real head scratcher is how they kind of drop you into this prison and let you forget about the crimes that these people have committed mm-hmm. like immediately they yeah. never really bring it up until red speech at the end right uh that kind of surprised me i guess it's kind of irrelevant right like inside prison 
Like not, outside, not really. Not to me as an outside prison viewer. Well, that's why I say an outside like, I prisoner. I have to say, are these people good people fundamentally or bad people fundamentally? And the movie never addresses that. Huh. I think it's... It just, it just lets you assume that these people are as good as anyone you would meet on the street outside. Even though they are murderers, they are probably yeah. rapists and thieves and all the things that land you in prison. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The movie never asks that question at all um yeah it's interesting because like the people that we do know red like obviously he's guilty of murdering someone as a teenager yeah and he feels real bad about it and it's like Mm -hmm. the the way they describe it maybe it seems like it was a a mutual combat kind of thing it wasn't like you know like words were said at a bar and some shoves were exchanged and suddenly someone's bleeding on the floor it's it didn't seem like it was uh you know like he was a professional hitman and i i I mean that's one of the things i think this I don't want to get too far in before we get all of the introductions out of the way, but I do think that a lot of these questions uh, were certainly bouncing around in my head. It's been probably five or six years since I've seen this movie. I've seen it probably six times. I'm kind of like a Torian in that this movie came out in 94, like right as I was graduating high school. And I remember starting to follow pop culture more, more closely and like getting, be, be getting into like more television and, and movies. And this was, you know, got a lot of Oscar buzz and, mm-hmm. uh, I sought it out like very early on. And like, you know, like when I was 20 rented it, watched it and like, was just completely blown away at how like, you know, it's it's uh, it's not the t- typical young man's movie. It's very it's very slow and deliberate and quiet, but it is very, as you said, absorbing. Like it's mm-hmm. it reminds me a lot of The Godfather in that its pace can be so slow, and yet you're kind of hanging on every frame and every word. And um, it's also a, a movie that rewards like rewatches because I feel like now that you know what Andy is doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of tension. Like it's it's very ballsy what he's doing. Uh, he's taking mm-hmm. high stakes risks at every turn, but the movie and you do not know it the first time you're 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 watching it. Yeah, I mean you see the obvious risks he takes, like going up to Clancy Brown and being like, "Hey, do you trust your wife?" Right, uh, and and you know uh, flipping the bird to the warden as he blasts uh, an Italian opera throughout the Shawshank, but. It's way, way more intense. Every single time the warden goes in there and they shake down his, you know, they they someone leans up against Rita Hayworth, the, the, it's all over. Yeah. If a stiff breeze, if if a if a cold front moves in and and blows against it, it's all over. Like mm-hmm. it's, uh, I found it very stressful watching some of those scenes, even though I know what's going to, what's what's going to happen. But um, yeah, it it's uh it 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 is one of those very first uh. There's one of those very first movies I saw where it's like, oh, it doesn't have to be all action or I don't have to be like yeah. laughing my like like my guts out to actually enjoy the experience of watching a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you I mean, I don't like man, I don't even know how to do like top movies anymore. It's like <laughs> it's imp- I've seen so many fucking movies. Yeah, they're like there are probably 30 movies in my top five right no (laughs) i feel i kind of feel the same way and it's kind of like what mood am i in yeah um but like in the kind of like just great movie i think it's 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 up there in the great movie slot you know yeah um and uh it is every single time like i i i every time you're flipping through the channels and you see it's on it's kind of like the other like you know the kind of sense of gravity that's like kind of comes over you it's like oh we're about to get to the 
you know, roof tar and scene, or we're about to get to the scene where he gets the library opened, or we're about, uh, there's a lot of these kind of like just, just great scenes. We're about to get uh, to where um, the old man gets released and he hangs himself Brooks. Um, there's mm-hmm. a lot of great, because I think the other thing is that this movie is very character driven and there's just lots of great characters. There are. Yeah. I mean, aside from Andy and Red, the two main ones, you've got the, you know, the warden's a piece of work. The <laughs> head, the guard is a piece of work. Uh, Red's whole crew uh, are all interesting. And um, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's just great seeing like this really believable friendship uh, spring up between these men that takes place over the course of 20 years, but it only covers like two hours and 20 minutes of film. It's pretty, it's a remarkable accomplishment. Yeah. And I think the like central messages of like hope. And then not losing hope. And when you give up hope, essentially you've given up your life. Uh, Even if you're incarcerated, like you Mm want to maintain that hope, at least, you know, that's, that's the thesis that uh, Andy has when he comes into prison where red is very much in the opposite camp. Right. That you need to abandon all hope because there, there's no reason for it. Yeah. Uh, And I think the evolution of those feelings over the course of the movie is one of the most compelling things about it. And, and, you know, that all ties into, like, the library and giving these other cons hope yeah. for their future, like, yeah. and Brooks killing himself. Like, it's a very well-crafted through line for the film. Yeah, because I think Red and Andy are both right. Like, Red is probably right that killing hope is the best way to survive the prison of experience. Sure. Or the, the prison experience. But I think Andy's right in that if you do successfully do that and it goes on for too long, then you lose the ability to function out in the outside world. You become, as this, this movie says, institutionalized. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that concept. Is this, is this kind of building? Look in 94, I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know what institutionalized meant, let alone mm-hmm. that it was a, a principle that applied to prison culture. Uh, is this something that was kind of hanging out in the zeitgeist in like the sixties? Is this when like that idea of, Hey, we're, we're treating these prisoners in a really fucked up way that makes them incapable of living outside of that system. Is that a thing that had been around is, is Shawshank like building on momentum from that? Or is it more like, I don't know because, Hey, this is a thing that Stephen King, who I think wrote this pretty early on. Yeah in his writing career, which would have been like late sixties, early seventies. Kind of I think stuff. it's, it's probably closer to the latter that, you know, I don't know in fifties America, people were talking about things being institutionalized, but I, that yeah. I, I'm, I'm just guessing. Um, I, yeah. I don't know. Um, I'm trying to see. It's when just he a question I have as a 12 year old in 94 and a, you know, 37 year old. And Oh, he wrote that in 82. 19. Wow. Interesting. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I do think, cause it, it got me thinking a lot about like, you know, prison culture and how we see, it. cause here is like all of the, the bad things about prison life in America. The fact that, um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not just that you're sent here to do time. It's that you also get here and you're just extrajudicial beatings and there's the threat, constant threat of rape and violence. There is the dehumanization of being put in solitary confinement, which increasingly is a lot of prisoners experience where Mm -hmm. they sit in a box for 23 hours. They're let out for one day or one one hour a day. And like, what does that do to uh, a, a human's mind, a human that's a social creature that that I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't fucking do that to a dog. Um, and you think about, 
like I kept on thinking about the stuff I've been reading about some of the Scandinavian countries and Norway in particular, where like the maximum you can be sentenced for prison for murder is 21 years. And typically you get unsupervised weekend parole beginning at one third of your sentence. So hmm. the longest it would take to get out to where you're getting out in the weekends and maybe you can start seeing your family and holding a job is seven years. It's usually lo- less time than that with full release at two thirds. So hmm. you kill a person, you could get out, you could be getting weekend parole in four years and out in eight. And I wonder what Americans think about that because I mean, if if your wife got killed, right, and this guy, do you want this human being that murdered your wife to suffer eternal imprisonment? <laughs> uh, do you want him to suffer death? Do you want him to suffer uh, rape gangs? Or do you want him to have the educational abilities, counseling, perhaps medication? Uh, you want to be rehabilitated to where he becomes like, you know, something of value is gained from your, your wife or loved one's death. Um and I don't I don't know what the answer is, because, like, if we are trying to rehabilitate people, we're fucking doing it all wrong. We're yeah. way too way. I mean, our our recidivism rates are off the charts. Norway's is the lowest in the world. So so, to, so so if we want to, like, rehabilitate people, we're doing things the wrong way. If we want to punish people, but good, we are actually kind of <laughs> like half assing it because you can you can get people a lot worse times in prison. You can, you sure. can, you can, there's, yeah. we've, we've really, so it's a, but it's like, it's the, we got this weird kind of limping on where we try to pretend to, to, uh, to respect these prisoners rights, but we don't do any kind of research. We don't do any kind of AB testing. I mean, that was one of the shocking things yeah. that came out of like the serial podcast I was listening to the fact that not only are people not like harvesting the data, like, okay, this judge sentences people to this many years in prison. This judge sentences to why many years, which is better. Like let's track. Not only do we not analyze the data, we don't even collect that data. Mm -hmm. Like judges do whatever the fuck they want with sentencing guidelines. And then no one actually studies to see, well, did this actually lower the recidivism rate? And these are the things I was thinking as I was watching this movie to like, I mean, prison probably has not changed very much other than there's a hell of a lot more gangs and there's television and Internet. But everything yeah. else, the, the the violence, the killings, the rapes and stuff like I seems like we are still having that 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 done. Yeah. Seems like our criminal justice system is pretty regressive. What and there's also like this, like um, the warden gets the, the bright idea that he essentially has a slave labor force and he can start yeah. not only undercutting people, but 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 like but getting like he doesn't even have to do the work he can like you know put in his lowball bid to have someone you know bribe him with a pie and a five thousand dollars and there you go like mm. you know with the with with the prop for for profit prisons and like you know the <laughs> prisoners building things and getting paid like a dollar an hour like in california something that happened uh this late summer and fall was the fact that uh, the prison firefighters, the forest firefighters are getting paid a dollar an hour uh, and no, no, like co- no compensation. Like, oh, for every day you spend out in the field, you get a month off your sentence or something. Just like, nope, you get a dollar an hour to compensate your time. Like, <laughs> that's pretty fucked up. And can you have that kind of system without the ensuing corruption? If you have a right. slave labor force, the society says, hey, this is OK. In fact, we actually carved out an exception, an amendment to ban slavery to like, oh, yeah, you can still have slaves as long as they've been deprived of their liberty through some sort of due process. Yeah. Is there any I mean, way to do that without there being corruption? You want to talk about a perverse incentive uh, yeah. to send people to prison. Right. There you go. Uh, 
yeah, I think you can. It's called massive oversight uh, over those programs and super transparency. Like it all has to, it all has to be regulated and and monitored constantly. But here's the thing: like I feel like the the problem is if you have a per you you have an intellect that sits and says, "Look, we got all this labor force." I know what we can do. We can put them to work and they have no say in what they do and they have no say in their pay. Like mm. you can oversight that as much as you want, but it's like still immoral, you know, like there's lots of oversight in the Nazi concentration camps. It's just that they were overseeing exactly how, you know, they were rigidly ran exactly how they're supposed to be. It's like, mm. I almost feel like it's the, the two, like this is wrong versus, Oh, well we can make it right. If we do it in a particular way, it's like they're, they're fundamentally incompatible principles. Hmm. But that's when I, I was wondering, like, did is Stephen King smart enough to know that? Did he write this warden as like a particular evil person that was taking advantage of the situation? Or is he saying that no matter what a person starts off with, that if they have all these incentives that you're eventually going to turn bloody minded? Yeah, I, I do think that he has a deft touch with the rest of it. So he's probably got some of those things in mind when he's writing. Mm. Uh, and you know, by extension, Frank Darabont probably does as well. Uh, I, I would have to like, look at this movie as a whole and say, they have a pretty solid understanding of the principles that, that govern, uh, our incarceration system. Right. I mean, they had a pretty good handle on it in this movie and it was holistic. It wasn't just like, oh, here's one aspect of prison life that we really need to crack down on. It was like, right. look, this is the life of a prisoner. Yeah, you got and the underground economy. This is the quote-unquote industry of the prisons. Right. So, yeah, I, th- I think they did a pretty good job touching all the bases here. You know, and I, I feel like that this is a very beloved movie. Um, I know this movie didn't make a ton of money when it came out. It like, essentially doubled its budget, but its budget was only like $24 million. Uh, but since it's like it gets on everybody's top five list, but... I just I'm constantly amazed at how much of America really looks up to shows like The Wire and says that Shawshank Redemption is like, you know, really, really touched them and made. But yet no change is really like it's it's nobody. No, nobody. Not only is it like there's no kind of voice on the other side saying, hey, should we change some of this stuff? But it seems like it's always it's still like that. It's very popular to be this kind of quote unquote tough on crime. No, I think that's where like that romanticized vision of prison life comes in, where you essentially have what amounts to like a bromance yeah. prison movie. Like yeah. this is it, it's it's a weird kind of dichotomy of a movie where the the film wants to talk about the serious prison issues and it wants you to think about them, but it also more importantly wants you to just get engrossed in the story of these two people yeah. who find friendship through prison and hope and, and kind of carry each other through the experience. Yeah. It's that's what I'm talking about when I say it's romanticized, like those people who you're talking about look at this movie and say it's great, but don't think about the consequences in our actual society they're brought in by the romanticized mm. part of it. And the know? fact that Andy's like victory is so total and complete and righteous, almost yeah. like it's got this weird thing as like, because someone can like achieve and like overcome and bring it down or or this idea that like, that's the inevitable outcome for people like, you know, warden Norton or whatever the hell his name was. When like, I think it's the exact opposite. However cr- much corruption you undercover in society, there's probably 90% more that you don't see. It's the tip of the iceberg. You, yeah. you caught literally the dumbest criminal or the one that got a little too greedy or forgot to grease the right palm. Um, like 
I it, it's the, the 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 way the story would usually go is I think a guy like Andy gets uh you know he he gets mind of all of his usefulness when he finally gets a stiff backbone it doesn't care who gets hurt and you just bump him off too the same way you do everybody else <laughs> yeah um because that's like you know this this movie has a definite turn in emotional to in the emotional tale um and that that sweet kind of like idyllic romanticized version of prison life comes to an end when you when when you know andy has the uh are you being up to speech mm, yeah. because like you know i mean i, I it's hard to say because like i said we've already seen guys paralyzed and put in the hospital <laughs> right. for weeks yeah, and raped like and, raped all yeah. the time um but like you know when the when the warden goes out there and like discerns the truth from this kid after andy has just busted his ass to get him a ged uh, and you know, in a, in a fair world, Andy would be starting to get like a second trial, you know, they're because like, he's exactly right. Like the country club will have this guy. There's, there's actually, there's no evidence yet, but if you start pulled, there will be. Mm-hmm. And the warden has the man shot and then mm-hmm. framed as an escape. And it's like, man, within these four walls, this warden is a God. There's no way you could ever displace him. And like, from that point forward, the, like the romance is kind of out of the movie and Andy kind of looks like a broken man. And they do that interesting reveal where I thought I was going to watch another, like the first time I saw this, I thought, Oh God, I'm bracing for a Braveheart where like, <laughs> he's going to sacrifice himself on the altar of, uh, yeah. To bring down the warden, he's going to hang himself with a copy of the book. You yeah. Know? Just a moral victory. Yeah. Uh, when exactly. he actually loses everything. Exactly. And like, yeah. there'll be a new warden and they'll the things will be a little bit different. And, but, uh, no, in fact, and that's the other thing is like I guess I didn't see the escape coming because like I, I remember clearly thinking the yeah, first I time I watched that to. he's getting six foot and they and and uh, Morgan Freeman plays that uh, you know the longest night of my life so yeah. perfectly and then the guard coming and Andy's like it's like the idea that he would escape I did not immediately cotton on to mm-hmm. and it's like I said going watching and and watching this again and and seeing all like exactly the point where he started thinking oh I can. Uh, I can I can break out of here uh, with enough time persistence and all that. <laughs> all he's got is time. Yeah. yeah. I think my favorite part of the movie is in retrospect when Andy tells Red, hey, there's this thing that I want you to find. It's yes. out in this field with the long rock row and the tree, the oak tree. And, and after finishing the movie, you realize, oh, shit. Andy actually hadn't placed that there nope. until after he escaped from prison. Right. So this is like... He's preemptively telling him to go pick up something that doesn't exist yet. Right. And it, it, it makes me wonder what would have happened if Andy got killed or right. during the escape or if he had, you know, not escaped uh, and been thrown in the hole and maybe Andy and Red never speak again or he's transferred. Like, there's a lot of things that could have gone wrong with that plan, but I love the idea that he told him about it before it existed. Well, I also, because I, I was thinking about that too, and I was thinking... One of the things that this story does, regardless of whether Andy dies or not, uh, is it gives Red a a hope to hold on to. Exactly. Like something to like, this is the reason why you want to hold on to your to whatever makes you human Mm -hmm. inside here. And you want to get out and in a reasonably sane and healthy way, because I'm giving I'm I'm giving you my hope, essentially. So, like, now that is pretty dark if Red gets out. And he finally gets the gumption to go take this trip to yeah. the hayfield, and he gets out there, and there is no volcanic glass. Or if there I think is, he probably, does, yeah, he, he, does he kill himself at that point, or do you think 
that hope well, still strings him along. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, it just depends because I could totally see the Stephen King novel ending with Red finding the rock or it's not being there and him realizing that, oh, well, maybe Andy was giving me his hope. And then that springboards him. Or I could also see him, like, you know, taking the Brooks Express <laughs> right. to, to uh, you know, pr- prisoner heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I feel I feel like the there's a follow up movie to this if if Andy doesn't make it out of prison to place that note that is probably just Red wandering the earth looking for that field mm-hmm. <laughs> like oh I must have been the, Maybe wrong, got the field. wrong one right yeah how many Buxtons are there I don't oh, know am I in the right state and he what? says there's a lot of hayfields up there yeah and Andy's like not like this one turns out he's he's a banker he wouldn't know hayfields from oh yeah you know French lingerie so unless he, he fucked under a tree in one yeah he just like he just turns out all hayfields have those stone fences and it's real but mm-hmm. I don't know because like, um I saw a lot of talk about this being broadly christian allegory you know with andy being the christ figure and like red Hmm. being his apostle and you know uh andy going through a metaphorical death which was christian which then he went to prepare a place for his disciple in paradise which was the the place in mexico how how can something not be broadly christian allegory like the, the stories encompassed in christianity are Essentially, the story is encompassed in humanity. So what the fuck are we even talking about? Well, it's kind of like the same thing with the hero's journey. You know, some of these things are so like like I've seen Dan Harmon take getting frozen yogurt as a trip to see the goddess. Like if you can hammer (laughs) these broad character strokes into. So, yeah, anything that involves self-sacrificing and redemption as a Mm -hmm. Christian allegory. um yeah, but I I wonder like if the Christian allegory w- would work even better if Andy actually did die, and the salvation that Red got was more purely spiritual or psychological and not actually physical. Yeah, maybe everybody thinks Andy's dead, uh, in prison, but he comes back three days later, mm-hmm. and now he's like, I don't know, in their cells talking to him and they're like where'd you come from we right you were dead right he comes behind the real and he's from got behind big the, holes in him he says yeah. jam your finger jam yeah, your jam hands your in rock here. hammer in this hole yeah <laughs> not that one uh do you <laughs> so i think this movie is pretty perfect from a um from a script from oh a yeah narratively from a casting from an acting my only I, I, I it's so perfect that i can't help but fuck with it right do you think that this movie would be stronger if we don't follow Red down to Mexico? Like if it ends, if it ends like Red in the field reading, because I love everything about Morgan Freeman's performance. Like the whole like, yeah, he sees all that money and suddenly he like like shifts down below the wall or looks over his shoulders like <laughs> like this is like some trick, right? The warden's uh-huh. behind the trees, like ah, you fucker, gotcha. where'd you? You got a receipt for that money? Um, I love everything about it, but like going down to. Mexico is nice because you see the Andes made it and you see how beautiful it is and you see the men embrace and but it is it's almost a little too sweet Mm -hmm. like I I feel like him getting the money and the letter and like buying his bus ticket is kind of where if I was cutting the movie I would have I would have ended yeah no I'm I'm telling you for a movie about prison rape and institutionalization and exploitation of uh what amount to slaves yeah i think this movie is pretty saccharine Mm. shockingly so uh especially in its ending um well i want to talk about the concept of institutionalization um because like the thing that brooks wrote about is you know he'd been there like over 50 years right 
Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got his bird and he's got this library job and he gets out and now he's a grocery boy, but he's got arthritis and he can't hear so well. And, um, also the idea that like, so we start this story in the late early, early fifties, right? And this guy uh, yeah, had been in 47. Yeah. 47 to at least 90 or 66 rather. So this, so I think they established that Brooks had been in the prison for like, like, like 40, almost 50 years by the time he's released, which means he, because he mentioned like when he went in, there was like hardly any cars at all. Yeah. And now it's like, like, it's very rare that tech, that, that technology changes that much while you're inside. It's almost like a time machine. Dude, I can't. I can't even imagine going yeah. to prison right now and stepping out 50 years later. Right. What would it, the world look like? You wouldn't recognize anything. But it's a lot. Nothing. It's a lot easier to keep up with what's going on. Um, whereas, like, I imagine, like, in the 40s, why would you read a newspaper in prison? You know? And, like, what? There's there's very limited television, so you're not actually seeing the cities and everything change. Like, you maybe you hear a radio show, but, like... The walking out and now there's these big steel beasts like in the road and like you got to watch out you might get ran over like that kind of stuff mm-hmm. like i wonder if it would change because now I, I feel like prisoners have cell phones and the internet and it's a lot easier to stay connected that way hmm. to stay uh yeah uh, you know like like to stay informed if you want to be maybe a guy like brooks wouldn't want to be yeah i think you can stay intellectually informed but having a feel for society at all right i i doubt you would you would understand anything when you got out like I, I think it's very different to read about cell phones mm-hmm. uh, and what they are and and how society is using them versus actually having one in your hand and like understanding on a on a visceral level what this thing is. Yeah, or just how to talk to people now, like how yeah. things have changed from the '60s to now versus how people interact with each other on a daily basis and how that's going to probably change in the next fifty years. Like I said, I institutionalization is an interesting concept because it, it refers to a lot of different things. Like the idea that you forget, uh, you know, you've been told for 50 years when to go to bed, when to use the bathroom, when to eat, what to eat. Everything is rigidly controlled and you go 50 years later and you're an old man. And now no one, no one, not only does no one keep tabs over you, but no one really gives a fuck. Yeah. You know, you're just kind of uh, an inconvenience in everyone's life. And think about like, especially your old man and like all of your friends back in the day. No one's kept up with you. Probably most of them are dead. Like Uh it's you're just like uh, you're like Fry from Futurama. You just come out of this frozen time box and try to relate to the world. And it's almost inevitable that if you're in that scenario for 50 years, you're going to be institutionalized. It's, It's almost impossible to avoid, at least in my mind. Well, I thought that was so poignant about Red's final parole hearing because, like, you could see the one after 20 years and he's like, he's like, you know, he's like spit shine himself and he's like yeah. really prepared and he's like trying to give all the right answers. And then at 30 years and then at 40 years, he he has kind of been institutionalized. He just doesn't give a shit anymore. Mm-hmm. Like my best years, like I'm going to get out of here and I'm, it's too late for me to get a woman. It's too late for me to have a meaningful job. I'm probably never going to own a house like fuck it. And then they approve him. It's almost like. Uh, and I know this can't literally be what it's like, but this parole board is almost like, has this person been utterly broken? <laughs> if not, decline. If so, approve. And the approvals are going to be destined to meet no good ends. Yeah. But uh, I, I think the thing I know you're you're obviously being a little facetious there, but the, the thing that gets read out ultimately, mm-hmm. I think, is his acknowledgement of being a very different person from when he was younger and committed those crimes. Mm hmm. Like, I think that's the thing that does it with the board. They're like, okay, he fundamentally understands 
you know, something about his actions before that he no longer uh, agrees with. Well, see, that's what I was that's one of the things I was thinking about as I was watching this movie and like, you know, thinking about the Norwegians is like, what is the use of more than like a 12 year prison sentence? Like, do you understand like what a what a huge punishment that is to have like 12 years of your life just vacuumed away? Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't make up for killing a person, mm -hmm. but there's literally nothing you can do to do that other than just be killed yourself in a very mosaic covenant kind of life for life kind of way. I got it. I got it. Here's what we do. We employ the slave labor in our prison systems uh -huh. to come up with a way to resurrect people. <laughs> there you we go. Educa we highly educate we'll them. all the murderers in... out if you can bring them back. <laughs> right. Right. But, but do you know what I mean? It's like, it's yeah. like what? For sure. There, there's nothing you can do to make up for that. Yeah. And like even a, your own death doesn't pay for that. And, and, and a penalty that's like, like, like the difference between 12 years and 50 years to a human mind is probably like, fuck it. Like, you know. <laughs> I mean, I guess you'd rather have 12 than 50, especially if you're a yeah. teenager. It's like, oh, I could get out by the time I'm... But still, like, 18, looking at 12 years, you're going to be 30 years old. Mm -hmm. Which, when I remember being 18, I figured that was the end of the life, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and if prison was this thing and where, you were right. where you people were right. could get an education, and not just an education in, like, a sense of a GED or a trade, but, like, education in, like... This is how society works. This is how civics works. This is why you're in this place. And this is how you can avoid it. Like life skills, relation, de-escalation, things like that. Because, I mean, I don't, it, you know, you just keep coming back to like what a high percentage of uh, particularly Americans are in prison compared to the rest of the world. Um, we got like, what, a fifth of the world's prison population and like a twelfth of the actual population um, yeah, and I mean, Red is left to his own devices to come up with the conclusion that his actions were wrong. Right. There's no guidance there. There's no understanding as to, you know, what these people need to help them along that path. Right. And there's simply, here's time. Think about what you did. Right. Question mark. Get out. But I, without books, without curriculum, without access yeah. to professional help, without access to, you know, uh, it's... Yeah, you could just as easily see him extraordinarily bitter, feeling like he's been shafted and pissed off at everything. Sure, sure. Like that's not how he ends up, but it could be. Right, and that's what I'm saying. Like it's almost like if, like if you keep someone in prison much longer than a dozen years, you might as well keep him in prison for life because how how it seems like institutionalization is the rational, you know, is is the rational approach to that kind of life imprisonment. Like you, like whatever part of you that's like the independent, uh, you know, creative spirit that you went in with has got to be extinguished or you'd go mad. Mm -hmm. So I, I mean, I don't know. Like I, 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 a lot of times I cop out and say, like, I don't have any answers. Like, but maybe I don't, but like, I feel like people do. And the fact that no one is really studying this and keeping data on it and trying new things out and like, Hey, look at what's going on in Scandinavia. Can we try these places? Uh, can we try try these, these, these uh, policies and, and, you know, j just, just experiment with it and see what happens because my God, can we get worse outcomes than we already have? We already have right. more people locked up than anyone else. We also have uh, one of the highest recidivism repeat offender. Um, uh, we have some of the harshest penalties in the world. Like, okay, we, if, if we're not ready to try something else, then we're saying that we're fine with the system we got. And I'm not, for damn sure. Yeah, there, there's also a lot of stuff in here um, on that theme of hope that mm -hmm. I found really compelling emotionally, like savoring these small pleasures. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when Andy plays that record, he sacrifices. He makes a big right. sacrifice for the rest of his fellow prisoners to get 
a fleeting momentary pleasure. Right. Uh, and some that are straight up just confused by it. Like mm-hmm. they don't understand it. Right. Uh, but Andy's giving them that gift, sacrificing his own freedom. Uh, what little bit of it he has left. And I right. think that was interesting. And then, you know, later on when he gives, uh, read that harmonica, mm-hmm. there's a moment where red looks at it and he doesn't fucking know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. He's like, Andy says, Hey, play us something. And he's mm-hmm. no, yeah, I can't that, because yeah. that represents hope to him. That right. represents a time when he was not in prison. Right. Therefore there could be a time when he gets out of prison. And he doesn't want to think about that. Right. So I, I feel like those moments were really just good, emotionally resonant moments. Yeah. And that's like, that's good life advice. Like the idea that you sometimes can't control the setting that you're in, but you can control your attitude. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I thought those are all poignant when, you know, they're on the, the roof, uh, slinging tar and Andy has through some guile and daring won them a bucket of beer. And they're yeah. like, you know, we could be helping a buddy out with their roof or the hell it could be our own roof that we're doing. We're just like, we're all living like free men. And you know, when he did the stunt with the, the classical music where, you know, for a few mm-hmm. brief instants, every man here was free. Um, yeah, those are like, I feel like those are great. Those are great life. Those are trying to teach you great life lessons that, you know, yeah, it's something you could like see in a war movie, right? Yeah, like the 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 fighting forces getting up out of the trenches and going and partying on Christmas Day or sure. whatever. Like, sure, there are those small pleasures within a truly grim situation right. that keep people going. Right, and that's the thing. Like, if you are in, I know a lot of people feel stuck in situations, especially nowadays where there's so many economic hardships. Um, but like, you know, this movie says anything like. The, the the whole idea, I remember, like, it really hit me like a thunderstruck, the whole you got to get busy living or get busy dying, mm, yeah. um, that I do kind of feel like that. Like, no matter what situation you're stuck in, there's always something you can pick. Like, you know, maybe it's learning to play a harmonica or maybe it's... Uh, chipping rocks. Chipping, you know, going out and chipping rocks or, like, exploring your city on foot and seeing, like, what... I mean, there's 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 a goal that, a, that can be set and worked towards because if you're not going to do that, mm-hmm. then you are at best dying in slow motion, right? Yeah. You know, if you're not learning or growing or you don't have anything to look forward to, even as, as modest as the thing that you're looking forward to may be, um, then that's where, like, when people say the years are flying by and, like, oh, you blink and you're an old person. Like, that's that's what happens. To, that's 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 what happens. So I've, uh, I don't know, that's a big, I, I that that's, life philosophy has gotten me into a lot of trouble in this life. But it's also... <laughs> led me to where the the where i am in now because i do i want to say that i got <laughs> what well hmm. i'm trying things like one, why wouldn't you i'm curious no i say I, i'm coming to the conclusion that like i because um you know people always ask me like why did you make this x change big change in your life and like you know i can say like it's not like one big thing is like you know reading 1984 in high school uh but i think that this movie was one of it because i remember when i you know i don't think it was the first time but like when i was hearing this in my mid to late 20s and you know feeling like i was the same age as this character and kind of a situation where i felt stuck not by bars but by like the social situation i put myself into like well i can do this literally until the day i die and that's all it's going to be i've seen everything <laughs> i've seen everything my life is capable of except for maybe my son will marry somebody and they'll have kids and that'll be something but that will be the, literally the only thing i have to look forward to until i die because mm. i don't even believe in this paradise crap anymore and you know well so i better i better try something else but um so yeah i i i i think that this movie was one of those fulcrums that kind of helped me lift myself out of that situation 
I have a couple questions about this movie. A. All right. Why do they call him Red? It's not his Irish heritage. Come on. <laughs> I think uh, his name is actually uh, has Red or something. Yeah. Yeah. Alfred. Uh, I'm gonna look it Redmond? up. Redmond. I'm gonna look it up because he's credited as. Uh, I don't know. Keep what? what Fred. No, it's not Red. <laughs> Red Redick. Redick. Maybe. Okay. Red, yeah. Uh, uh, can he see in the dark? No, is that a thing? No. No, that's a different. That's a. That's that's okay. a different guy. Uh, I, I I was curious as to why they do call him Red, and he gives you know a, a flippant response, but right because his hands not... were covered in blood the night the cops <laughs> picked him up. Maybe from that Maybe. punk he killed in a bar that one night. I, I do also have some questions about the the prison economy here that Red is running. Right. Uh, I don't understand how you can profit from this this Rockhammer deal. I really don't because look, it costs him. What eight dollars? Seven, seven, eight dollars to mm-hmm. get the uh, rock hammer in the first place. Mm-hmm. He charges Andy ten, but then in order to deliver the rock hammer, he gives away three packs of cigarettes. But the, I got to imagine those were at least a buck each in the fifties. No fucking way. Oh, I mean, let me, let me, let me I, see. I don't know. Yeah, how I'm, much? I'm, I'm super was curious. A pack because I would say he's probably making less than twenty percent on the whole deal. Hmm. Just in in the cost of transferring the item to him, a pack of cigarettes was twenty five cents in the nineteen fifties. Damn, that's crazy because apparently so that, that, the, puts, that puts a little bit more spin on it. Yeah, that's like he's a, got a little more a, room. That's a, like two cartons of cigarettes. Yeah, uh, that's interesting because I listened to some of the Shawshank Redemption, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, the original King story. Yeah, I've read that too. Uh, and he talks about the prisoners making 10 cents an hour. Hmm. So, so you can, you can, you can essentially make your smoking habit and then some, you can like, you can get, you can you sustain yeah. a four pack a day habit on your, just your salary. Yeah. And they make a big deal about like, Andy had four drinks a year and mm-hmm. he saved up all year. He had like 500 bucks coming in. He was, what's well, so weird about the prison economy prison. is like the currency is also used like, like the dollar bill has mm-hmm. no intrinsic use if, unless you're going to, you know, roll it and snort stuff with it, you know, like yeah, you make a paper airplane out, get of out of it. Right? Yeah. But you don't, the, the scale is so small, but like, you know, it's like, you don't, um, you don't smoke a dollar bill for pleasure. No. And like with cigarettes, can't fuck a dollar. Bill. It is like, it's both a currency, but it's also a good. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, you know, in the Romans paid out in salt, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, oh, by the way, he's named Red because his name is Ellis Redding. Redding, okay. There you go. I knew and there was a reason for it. he just didn't want to tell remember. Andy his name, huh? He's probably just fucking with him, right? Yeah. Do you think, I mean, that's the other thing is by the end of the movie, surely he knows his actual name, why he's called Red. I would assume so, yeah. Maybe that's the one thing that Red held back in reserve. <laughs> I mean, Andy. Oh, Andy. Not ready to handle the truth <laughs> of my last name. Red seemed to know everything about everybody else. So if he didn't ever have to give up his real name to get that info, kudos right, to him. Right. But I guess he he gets people things. Um, is it believed? So, uh, you know, when I was talking about the stakes, and I, I realized there was like some genuine tension when like the warden comes in to recruit Andy for his cooking the book scheme, right? And he's standing right there in front of Poe, and he's going through his Bible and all that stuff that we know is just like there's this gaping hole behind there, and there's a mm. rock hammer in this thing, and it's all that. Um, I started thinking about like the stakes and I started thinking, what are the odds that this guy's in prison for just under 20 years and they never assign him to a different cell? Hmm. Yeah. Like your toilet never blocked, backed up. They never had the paint in there. 
They never had yeah, to like. Good, I, I good felt point. like that. There is no way that a twenty-year-plus tunneling project. I guess it's more like a fourteen-year tunneling project. There's no way that that would actually be able to happen in any kind of era of prison because yeah. it's just too. Like maybe you could do it for a month. Maybe you could do it for six weeks. Maybe you could do it for the better part of a year. But twenty years, nothing ever going <laughs> wrong. No one ever. No no uh, soft shoed. Uh, gum shoot, uh, screw, bent screw comes walking down while you're you're hammering away back there. Like not, you never a, a bit a bigger than average slab falls and clatters through the floor. Like <laughs> nothing, nothing really. Yeah, I don't no, know. That's, that's a fair point, but you know, narrative. It's a but yeah, the, the movie <laughs> wouldn't work narrative. unless the movie worked. And I I do right. feel like that that's part of like maybe you're supposed to understand that about Andy is that he this is. This is about just as as much about him keeping his hope alive as it is about an earnest escape attempt. Mm-hmm. Do you think that? Or do you think yeah. that that this is like well, if nothing else, I'll get out when this tunnel is complete, and that just keeps him busy. Like, because like they even uh-huh. said when Red was talking, like guys have all kinds of ways to keep their mind occupied when they're like reviewing his escape attempt. It just so happens that the uh, the warden boned him over as he was completing the 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 tunnel project. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that is Andy's storyline is keeping hope alive in the face of this adversity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's it it permeates every aspect of his his story mm-hmm. and there by the film. I mean, this is Andy's story. Yeah, the escape itself, I thought, is like it's it's just it's just the way it the way it's filmed is just so perfect because mm-hmm. it's got. Morgan Freeman, who it turns out is a damn fine narrating narration of anything. He mm-hmm. can make penguins fucking in sub-zero temperatures uh, interesting and, and moving. But he's narrating this guy like the whole, like, you know, he crawled through 500 yards of shit-smelling foulness that I can't even imagine. And, it, like, Andy's victory is so complete, like... By the time he's walking into that bank with the shiny shoes and the clothes, and you know exactly what's going to happen, but it's still pleasurable to hear Morgan Freeman like, this man who's never existed walked into the bank one day and cleaned it out for $375,000. It's just... Yeah. It's 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 just really good. Everything about it, like I, I already talked about, um, Fred find or not Fred, Red finding the rock and reading the letter and like taking the money out and how affecting that was. Man, um, can we talk about... Do you... I mean, one thing I want to talk about is Frank Darabont in general. And... I, I want to talk about the company that made this film, and, and okay. I think that those might be a good package. Okay. Um, I think Frank Darabont, it's, it's, I mean, I don't want to turn this into another what it what could be, what The Walking Dead could have been. <laughs> but, like, this and, like, The Green Mile. Yeah. Um, the, he did The Mist, too, or was it The yep. Fall? Okay. Like, these all have these kind of moments of, uh, it did, whether it's creepy, whether it's horrific, whether it's spooky, whether it's like uplifting, he's got these deaf handles on these emotional moments. And I do kind of want a what if. Like, what if Fred Darabont was given double the budget uh, to, or like if, if I was the AMC executive, I would have given him four times the money to make twice as many episodes. Oh, right. They gave him the same amount of money to make twice as many episodes. And that's what caused the problem. But like, Jesus Christ, I still sometimes kind of like, as much as I can weep over television, weep over the fact that Frank Darabont wasn't allowed to -hmm. tell his vision. Because, like, this first season wasn't perfect, but it did deliver some actual genuine terror, some actual genuine suspense, and some really interesting character moments. Yeah. And 
they really ran away from that in in the the seasons to come and it's Mm -hmm. a damn shame how how often do you get a a person of this caliber to want to helm your stupid zombie comic book film especially early on in the the golden era golden age of television right like that was one of the first shows coming up that had the pedigree that it did right and and that's things like nowadays like bringing over movie directors from and and screenwriters from the the big screen to the small screen was a huge deal and have him take that like everything's he's got this kind of every very muted and understated way of of doing everything just from the selection of the film stock to the way he uh, he shoots it it's not it's not too conservative it's exactly what it needs to be yeah. And like you watch season one of Walking Dead, and it's it's all there. Mm-hmm. And I, like you said, like nowadays, it's like I've got the opposite problem where like it's hard for me to hear a concept that I'm like, well, that's just never going to work on television nowadays because <laughs> it can be anything. Yeah. Like if you get the right crew, the right actors, the right script, uh, the right filmmaker, you can make anything look b- good and be interesting. But back in the day, you know, this like adapting this black and white. Uh, cult kind of classic comic book about zombies and uh, the apocalypse and all that stuff was a fucking risky deal. Mm-hmm. And I still, I just, I don't understand why, why that happened. You want to talk Cause, about Castle cause, Rock? Because they thought they could make more money by giving him the short end of the stick. Well, you know what? They made a piss pot full of money. At the end of they the did. day, yeah. they did achieve one of, they made a lot of money at The Walking Dead. They lost a lot of goodwill. I would, I would say that they could have made even more money. If they'd made a actual good show, yeah, probably that ran a tight eight to ten years and then was <laughs> out. But what do I know? Because then people might be like actually interested in spinoffs and instead mm-hmm. of them being like circling a shit train too. You want to talk about Castle Rock? What's- yeah, so Castle Rock Entertainment is it, you might recognize that name from some of Stephen King's other works, right? Like I think this is the fictional town or the fictional place. I don't even know if it's just a town that Stephen King sets a lot of his stuff in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting to me, and I, I read the entire Wikipedia page for uh, Castle Rock Entertainment because I was like, oh, man, that show Castle Rock, this is associated with Stephen right, King. Right. Uh, is this his production company? Like, is this is he part of this? Turns out, no, he's not any part of Castle Rock Entertainment, which shocked me because in the first paragraph of the Wikipedia page, they say Castle Rock Entertainment is a tribute to Stephen King's stuff. And it was like, did they just lift Stephen King's copyright here and name their company that and can they do it and I meant to go look this up and try and find like interviews of Stephen King talking about Castle Rock Entertainment before the podcast but I didn't have time because uh, I'm curious what his thoughts are on them essentially stealing the name of this town and using it as a quote-unquote tribute yeah to his work. when we were doing a little bit of pre-podcast you hit me with this trivia and I'm like that's like someone you know, like the guy that filmed the first Chronicles of Narnia coming back with like uh, Aslan Productions or Narnia Productions. Like, can you do that? Yeah. Can you rip the? I mean, this is not public domain shit. This is it's not right. a proper name. It's a, it's a name of a fictional town that you just now. If if it's just the name and the logo is like a lighthouse, right? So it evokes uh, like a main, but maybe like it's not exa- like maybe you can do that. I mean, I guess you can. They got away with it. I mean, they've been getting away with it for 30 years. Right. So. Um, 40 years now? I don't know. Right. I mean, you're talking to a guy who wrote a book called Gods of Thrones with a giant weirwood with a face carved on the cover. And, like, uh, if you had called it Winterfell, though, 
Sure. I bet that's a harder sell. Right. Or if it had a pic, like a, an illustration of, of Sean Bean as Ned <laughs> right. on it. Like, yeah. Writ- written by Winterfell King's Landing. Yeah. The, the name, the name, and especially since it's the association, because the, the, Reiner, who's one of the principals of this company, yeah. like, it, it, he, this was, uh, he did this either before or after he made the Stand By Me, uh-huh. which is based on another Stephen King work. So, like, you you can't even like plead. Oh, I have no idea what's happened. <laughs> no. Like, yeah, you just cheerfully admit. I, I don't know. Maybe Stephen King liked uh, liked it too. I I didn't see any. It's so weird because if you go look for The Shining, like Stephen King's opinion of The Shining, it's not oh, hard yeah. to find. In fact, no, if no, you no. like just t- search for like The Shining movie on the front page, you'll get some sort of mm-hmm. interview with him where he's shitting on it and Kubrick and all that. I don't get that from like Stand By Me or Shawshank Redemption. So maybe he's pleased with it and he likes Reiner and he's cool with the... I, I will say I think this movie is the most successful King adaptation. So I don't know how you want to define success. If you want to define success as... Dollar bills, y'all. Dollar bills, then no. Because like I said, this had a budget of like $24 million and it made like 56 in the theaters. But hmm. if you want to talk about in terms of like accolades, I just looked up on Wikipedia and it was nominated for seven Academy Awards. Damn. The most for any Stephen King, King film adaptation. There you go. So if you want to say by critical success, then this is more, this, this is more successful than, than, than anything else he's done. With okay. Pet Cemetery being a possible exception if it comes out and blows everybody's doors off. Oh, the new one? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I found out another little piece of trivia while I was doing my research for this because I kept looking at that mugshot of Red and I'm like, man, that doesn't really look like Red. Is it when like 18 year old Morgan Freeman? Because I had the I same I was wondering thing. that too. No, it's apparently his son, uh, oh, Alfonso. Alfonso Morgan. Okay. Yeah. Because it didn't not look like him. Right. It just didn't look like him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It didn't quite look like I thought a young Morgan Freeman would look, but it's his son. So right. Right. That was pretty cool. Nice. Nice detail. Uh, I, I feel like it was a little weird that Red got put into the exact same house and job that Brooks was in uh, when he got out. Well, I, I, I kind of understood that was like a halfway house. Like that's like its purpose is to it is, house yeah. ex-cons. So. Right. But how many ex-cons go through the system in any given that's true. year? The, fi- the fact that he got the same room. Right. But it's like, I guess I will allow that kind of coincidence. And because... the same job at the same grocery. Like, yeah. It, it's a little convenient, but I yeah. get the point they're making. Well, it's... that's the whole system. They don't like uh, they they wait for the guy to get released. That's what they did. They if they have a slot open in that room, they release a person and they count on the fact that they're going to kill themselves within a week. Like they have trained that, <laughs> that turnover, grocery yeah. store manager to have just <laughs> the right superior attitude uh, to to make these men feel dehumanized. So they have right. to hang themselves. It gives them too much freedom. Oh, I can piss whenever I want. Oh, right. I can't handle it. Right. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. You don't have to ask me when you go piss. Like, well, what are the rules, fucker? Because I don't get to choose when I double bag and bag things myself. It's true, yeah. I feel like we both talked and didn't talk enough about the the library stuff that he's building because mm. this idea of hope um, that that Andy is preserving throughout the film is also something that he's trying to spread to others, and he does that by you know setting up these programs within the prison that allow other prisoners to see a light at that end of that tunnel, right? Uh, the the library being the main, you know, uh, thing there, but also Tommy when he mm-hmm. comes in, like there's this obvious 
it's uh, to call it like a hey tommy is his pet project is mm-hmm. a little condescending right it, it's more like this is something i can do for this person right because uh, throughout the whole film he seems to be wanting to help people it's another part as much as possible Price those like he didn't even want the beer he just wanted the serene satisfaction of seeing his 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 boys drink beer yeah, yeah, yeah. He he's not doing it for him. He's doing it for no. I like it. I, I think like look. That's also part of what makes this a saccharine film, right? Uh, but I think there's a good message there. Like, I'm very much in the Andy camp. Like, I think keeping hope alive, like mm-hmm. through all of the tribulations, and we're seeing a lot of it now in our current society. Keeping hope alive is a good thing and an important thing. I, I think there's a there's even. I think you're exactly right because the uh, the warden gave the list of punishments to keep Andy in line because he was saying like whenever you're threatening someone you usually do do you lead it to strongest stuff or do you like start off with uh, the 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 worst stuff and then you know you like I'm going to split your penis in half and pour lemon juice in it and then I'm going to sign you up for every spam email I can think of like. No, you always go with the 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 big. You you leave the the, the split penis lemon juice last, right? Sure. So yeah. he has like all this thing, like you're going to lose your spacious one bedroom, and you're going to be thrown to the rape gangs, and you're going to spend time in solitary, and also I'm going to the brick library. up your library and burn them all and dance like <laughs> like that's the thing that would that's the he hammer. Knew. Yeah. That was the hammer. That's the, like everything that you've worked for. For years, yeah, like a decade to make these lot because I know you don't give a shit about your own life, but you mm-hmm. do give a shit about all these other guys because you're Christ figure. And I'm gonna so like yeah, even the film itself says that like Aunt Andy is way more into everybody else than he is until until that all is taken from him mm-hmm. and then he escapes. Yeah, then it turns he's he's now a man on a mission to take down <laughs> the powers that be. Right. Uh, I did find it funny that the guy the the warden who's Name is Warden Norton, which mm-hmm. is a, a fucking funny name. And it's hard. It's like a rural juror. Warden, Warden Norton. Warden Norton. Uh, he Whoa. apparently finds out about this arrest before the cops show up. Like, it's in the fucking newspaper before the cops show up to <laughs> yeah, arrest him. way to go. Good way, job, police force. You're, way, doing, you're on task. Way to keep them leaks from happening. <laughs> right. And that's the other funny thing is, like, he reads the newspaper. None of his because uh, like this this involved every prison official in the state. Like seriously, no one called him before mm. then, or no one yeah. no one tipped him off. Like right? No, yeah. it's a weird, <laughs> over constructive uh, constructed moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's time to load his. I, the other thing, I, the other thing that really pissed me off is I thought the warden got off easy, letting him blow his head off. That didn't that didn't stick right. I was hoping that he would like because I I'd actually forgotten the whether he died or not, yeah. and I was like, huh? Because what I wanted to happen is him like fumbling the load and just being competent, and the guys kicked down the door and like, no, nah, no, nah, you're not getting out that easy. Um, but then again, I'm hmm. falling to the classical American victim of like I don't want the world to be better and I don't want this man to change. I just want him to be punished as harshly yeah. as he possibly can. Yeah, punish him. But. Uh, I don't know. There's always a uniquely evil person that needs to be punished extra special. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's the other weird thing about American prison culture is I feel like that it's a one size fits all, but it's for the worst. Like they're like uh, our yeah, prison yeah. culture is designed to ha- contain Lex Luthor. Unless you have money. Unless then, you have money. Then yeah. You can just go to a spa. The, the, well, for, that's the other whole thing is like the division years. between like 
vice crime and crimes of passion and blue collar crime, the white collar crime is also super unconscionable. Yeah. Like you can destroy a million people's retirement accounts and get two years. <laughs> That's the fucked up thing. I bet. But you kill Andy... one fucking person in a bar fight and you yeah. do a life in prison. The fuck? <laughs> At least until the cons take over the airplane. You're like, on. isn't destroying a million people's retirements objectively worse than killing one person? No, that's a fucked up thing. Like, he could have been running a massive multi-billion dollar Ponzi scheme uh, as the banker that he was before yeah. he got thrown into prison. And he wouldn't have gotten the time, probably no. any time, but not, certainly not the time that he got for murdering two people. Well, like that fucker in Arizona, that Joe Ar- Arpaio... Like, if only this warden knew that if he just got out in front of it and said, God damn right, I brutalized these criminals oh, and made money over. I'm living the American right. dream. Like, he could have ran for president. and said, He didn't have to blow his head off. He could have beaten yeah. the rap, become a popular hero amongst a certain public. Capitalist uh, hero. Yeah, yeah a certain certain segment of society and, you know, probably been state senator in mm-hmm. whatever, like, Maine. Yeah, you fucked up. You fucked up, Warden Orton. Yeah, yeah. If you had a name, it was easier to say. Because nobody's going to that's put that on a that's true. Yeah, campaign his poster. campaign is shot from it's the. Like, I like what he did. I like what he did to those queers and color folks, but I but don't like his name. I can't say I'll it. Be damned if I could say his name. Feels like I'm eating a f- mouthful of marbles and peanut. But I don't know why I'm using that outrageous Southern accent when it, this took place in Maine. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, whatever the uh, whatever the the lobster uh, chowder version of that that I'm accent would be. Not even gonna try it. No, not a good. I don't have a good good handle on a main accent or any for that matter. Uh, what else? I think that's it. All right, that's man. Uh, Hatorian, thank you for commissioning this podcast. This was a fun one to watch, a fun one to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be back next week for another commission uh, to get Doctor Nix out of the way. And also, just on a note on commissions, I do also. Some people have uh, mentioned it, and we haven't forgotten about the fact that we do have some partial shares sold on some community commissions that uh, that were kind of left out there straggling when we closed down the commission shop. Uh, we are going to be making that right one way or another, um, either by refunding shares or by just doing the commission, even though we didn't get the full 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 pay for it. Um, and we're going to be doing that sooner rather than later so i know a lot of people have been asking about it and we are going to be handling it pretty soon so stay tuned for that uh again we'll have another commission podcast next week with dr nick until then i'm aaron and i'm jim see ya